those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway. Um, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And if you guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Um, something greater will. Casey Patterson played beach volleyball at the highest level. He went all in on the sport he loved and it took him to the Olympic Games. In this episode, I talk with Casey about his legendary career, the many similarities between volleyball and pickleball, and how his relationships helped him get involved in pickleball culture. I'm Josh Walker, and this is SoCal Pickleball Stories. Thank you, Casey, so much for being here, dude. Dude, I didn't know. I grew up down just a BMX ride away from you. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> just down the street. Yeah, out here, you know, Ventura County area. Yeah. You're based where now? I'm in Camarillo. Camarillo. Born in Van Nuys, like the Karate Kids, same area, right? Yeah. Then we moved to here in uh, like West Lake Agura, just off Bandera Canyon. I lived there for about four years. And then my dad bought my grandpa's land in Newberry Park and we built a house there. And then I went to high school there and then they ended up moving to Camarillo, Ventura, Ojai, and then Utah. So like, I just kind of went farther and farther north. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you go to Newberry Park High School? I did. Yeah. I went there, started playing volleyball when I was at Newberry. Okay. So that's what I did. Backing up a bit, just, you know, before high school, what was it like growing up out here in, in Westlake, Newbury Park? Yeah. What were you into? Sports, yeah. kind of activities, kind of stuff? Yeah, I think I was a typical like boy, just played every sport. I started with baseball, played for till I was probably 12 and then got bored because I wanted, you know, just want to move and run around. And I was a pitcher, shortstop. I played uh, first base a lot, but I was still just like, man, I just really want to go shoot hoops or something. Yeah. And I got really into basketball. So I started playing basketball like full time, you know, it's going to the same the dream i'm gonna go to the nba so i'd ride my bike down to the the park and shoot hoops by myself and ride back and i was all in and then my mom made me try out for volleyball she's like look you're gonna love it because she played my dad played a little bit mm -hmm. she's like you're gonna love volleyball i'm like mom that's a girl sport you know like that that's like the football for girls where it's like the peak it's like one of the highest like uh opportunity sports for girls to go get like a d1 right, scholarship sure. and they can go pro and make a ton of money and so if, you know a, i'm like mom that's kind of a girl sport like boys volleyball wasn't really a big thing at that time and i think newberry park had only had a team for maybe two years before i started so like 92 ish like early 90s they started having a program so when i tried out it was still so new and for us it was like football basketball you know as a boy that's all you see on tv you don't see volleyball besides maybe the avp once in a while um, and so she's like, she made me try out. She's like, go for it. And all my friends tried out. So I'm like, okay, well, if they're going to go try out, I will. And, uh, I could just handset really well. It came naturally. And that's about all I could do somewhat well. And that was something that they needed. And so it was like this weird pocket of time where I had the skill they needed in the time that they needed. It just kind of blossomed from there. But I don't think if I would have been able to do that, I probably wouldn't have made the team. I wasn't fast. I was kind of like a little chubby kid that was slow, but was like all about sports, like playing as much as I could. So I was probably more of a, a liability than a benefit if I didn't have that skill. Yeah. So it was weird. That one skill like took me on the path. Interesting. Yeah. So how old were you 
at that time when you started? Uh, 14, I started playing volleyball. Freshman year of high school. How tall were you at that point compared so, to your classmates? I was not very tall or above average really at all. I think by the time I was a sophomore, I started growing a little bit more. And when I graduated high school, I was 6'4". And as a setter, that was actually pretty big at the time because I became the setter. And that was actually kind of like a new age was having taller setters, more offensive and can like block and kind of control the net and run an offense. I was kind of part of that new age tall setter world. That's all. I, I just played that all through high school. And then I went on a mission for two years in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. I didn't really have a lot of good offers. I had one offer to Pacific University, mm -hmm. but they don't have a program anymore. It was the only like D1 offer I kind of got. And I went on a mission and said, they're like, hey, we need you now. And I'm like, ah, I got to wait two years. And then I come, they're like, oh, sorry, we need you now or not at all. And I was like, yeah, okay, maybe not at all. You're not my like priority school. I always wanted to go to Pepperdine. As soon as you see that campus, you're like, oh yeah, dude, who doesn't want to go? Everyone wants to go here. Can I live here? It's amazing. So I just went on a mission, came back, and then I played at UVSC, which is a Utah Valley now. It's a mm -hmm. D1 school, but back then it was a two-year school. And they had a good team, played for it, and I got recruited by BYU. And then I played there for the, the next three years. Okay. So did you grow a lot where you're on mission? I grew three inches on my mission. So from 19 to 21, I grew three inches. Wow. <laughs> and I was on a full bike. I was one of those elders with the helmet on and the name tag. Sure. So luckily I was full bike. So I, I use that as like training. Right. I was just hustling, just bombed down and uphills and just use that as an advantage, you know, as much as so when I got home, I'd be stronger and it worked out. I grew and got stronger and faster, kind of like grew into my body a little bit. And then I was the, you know, six, six and a half setter who could, you know, get up and hit probably better than a lot of the hitters. So it worked out perfect. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So this whole time, you know, high school, you know, into BYU, it's, it's all indoor volleyball. All is that indoor. right? Yep. Six on six only. I was, um, the setter. So the one that kind of controlled the offense and ran the whole thing. And then I was also like the backup outside hitter opposite, which is the pin hitters on the wings. Right. And so I was one, each of those, I started as a libero, which is the back row specialist. So it's kind of like the Swiss army knife guy. They could just kind of did everything pretty good, but I wasn't like really a standout at anything except for maybe setting. Okay. But they had recruited a, a Brazilian guy named Carlos Moreno and put a lot of time and, and effort into getting him. And his dad's like a god in Brazil. He's like this legend. And so they were kind of putting their chips on him. And so I kind of took a back seat and just became whatever the team needed. Probably like most college careers or even high school, unless you're like this phenomenon, you're not really like, you don't have your like a stronghold on your starting position. So okay. you're kind of like searching for your spot or you've had a bad experience and so you quit, right? I think you almost hear more stories about that than like a success story in college. Very few times someone starts their whole four years or whatever or red shirts and gets a chance to be a starter and they're on a full ride. It's like we're all on chopped up little scholarships and you know, trying to figure out our, our place on the team. So everybody's pretty replaceable. Yeah, they really are. And that's the problem is that you feel like you're not when you get into the limelight and you become that. And then you realize really quickly, like it just moves without you. Yeah. So becoming a team player was like kind of a priority for me. It's like, how do I help elevate the team as a whole versus like selfishly want to just be the guy, you know? And so that's a lesson I learned that wasn't very easy, but I learned it. <laughs> yeah. Make yourself invaluable to yeah, the team. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a setter, that's kind of what your, your job is, is to manage the like aura and vibe of your team, even winning or losing. If I know a guy's not making eye contact with me or he makes an error and I know everyone, like you're embarrassed as the player that's not performing and being the setter, I'm kind of like, 
you know, the, the best friend on the court that needs to take some attention away from that person and then facilitate and maybe repeat and give him another opportunity to like redeem himself and get him pumped up. And then it gets everyone else going, you know, yeah. and then not forget about my middle, make sure that they're happy. Okay, cool. You know? And so you're really good at managing a lot of people at one time. Mm-hmm. And so I think being able to play all those different positions helped that and made me a little bit better at that. So it was kind of cool. It was, uh, much more of a, uh, almost like learning people's, I don't know, mannerisms and body languages. Like I was studying that almost more than the game, you know, it was weird. Yeah. But it was cool because it, it made you really adapt to who you were playing as well. Like you had to play your guys differently and let them know that's why, not just because you're not setting them. Like, yeah, absolutely. Matchups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like, you know, a lot of sports have that. Exactly. And I think that's more of sports than we even know, or even like in a two man sport, like pickleball, it's like, a lot of it, I mean, majority of it is you and your is it your partner a lot of times more than anything else because in pickleball you can get you can get targeted more than almost any other sport. Yeah, and if your partner's not ready and they're vulnerable and they feel like they can't perform, you kind of have almost no control outside of just how you communicate and can game plan. So it's like having that skill. I feel like I just need to get good at pickleball, and then I've got all the things, that <laughs> yeah. all the experience. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At BYU, did you guys have success as a team? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a funny story. My junior year, right before it started, I went up to the new coach's office, and I'd always been like the second string guy, right? I'm like the guy that would sub in if the starters weren't playing. I'm like, they kind of recorded every practice, and so they statted it. The preseason stuff, like your workouts, your training, how fast you ran, like these, these RB stairs, and all this kind of stuff. And so they tracked it. And then you were like in this ranking system where they kind of said, Hey, if you're in the top six, you're probably on the court. And I was always like two or three, but I didn't get to play. Uh. (laughs) So like I was performing, I could do all the skills. I was like putting a lot of effort outside of just on the court, you know, and, and I wasn't starting. So I came into the office. I'm like, Hey, can I have a chance at like you maybe looking at me in a different way? Cause I knew I probably came in as like the angry kid that wanted to play and wanted to prove it. And I'm yelling and screaming and wanting attention, but I'm performing, but I'm willing to like learn a new way of whatever you need so that I can get on the court. And he's like, I can't promise you anything. And I was like, okay. So I just deferred the whole year and moved to Hawaii. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I moved to Oahu, lived in Manoa and our buddy had two houses. He was remodeling one. So I slept on a mattress on his living room in the remodeled one helped him remodel and do yard work for free rent he had a weight room in the garage and then i would skateboard to the beach and train every day and i won like a king of the beach tournament for a thousand bucks and lived off that for like eight months nice so i just lived there and then came back and finished my last year yeah well since you brought it up so when did beach volleyball come into the that's kind of when it happened okay it was over the summer at byu I'd play this apartment complex called carriage cove mm-hmm. and the reason was the court was okay but it was right next to a pool where the girls would all go hang out. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this, even if I don't play volleyball, I want Vaughn to go hang out here. And so we were just there every day playing and I started to fall in love with beach. I thought, this is really cool. I feel like I'm having, to, I'm beating the guys that were so much more physically dominant than me at this game that's like still volleyball in a sense. And I'm working these guys just because I had more of the tools and the skills. And these guys were, I mean, they could jump way higher. They were way gnarlier indoor but they didn't see the court as well. They didn't use their angles. They didn't like, they didn't compartmentalize their upper body, lower body and learn how to like deal with elements of the wind and the sun. And I was like, wow, this is kind of my wheelhouse. This is perfect. And so that's when it really clicked and I wanted to do it like a lot. And there's a pretty good little beach scene in Utah. A lot of guys that, that play kind of like for these like money events and stuff like that. And so I got kind of plugged into that and it, from there, it just was like an obsession. It just took off from there. That's awesome. So you come back 
to BYU from Hawaii. And then I'm a lot better because I'd played beach and train for that long. And to only do beach and train and then go back to indoor, indoor almost felt like so easy and like slow, even though it's a faster game. But because you're in charge of so much more responsibility as a two-man game, it made six on six and the smaller area I had to cover and my responsibilities feel so easy. Yeah, I can see that. And so I think I was really valuable because I came back as like really confident. And then I was way more, I mean, I gained probably five, six inches on my vertical just from playing beach only because it's just so much harder to move in it. And you have to be so much more like explosive to get out of the sand that it's kind of like, I think it's the ultimate cross training surface. So luckily that worked out. I came back and I was real big. And so I started as the opposite which is the right side player who's kind of like, he's kind of like your big arm that just goes and hits hard every time. Yeah. And, you know, and so it worked out perfect. I was like, okay, I'll go do that. And so I started as the, the opposite my senior year and finished school. And then from then I got, got married to my wife and she was on the women's team. Oh, cool. Uh, Lexi, she was on the BYU team and we both got a contract to go play pro right after in Europe. And so we went over in Sweden and we both made it and won the championships of that league. And we're like, this is awesome. This is the coolest thing ever. And then, you know, just kept doing that and let in more and more to make money on indoors so I could go play beach. Make money on indoors so I could go play beach. And then, you know, working 15, 20 jobs, whatever you can to make it work. You know, sure. I was coaching like three teams, club, high school. I was a personal trainer, a strength and conditioning coach. I was like doing whatever I could until, you know, one day an Olympian called and said, hey, you want to play with me? And I was like, 100%, you know. And who was that? That was Jake Gibb. He uh, finished number one team in the world that summer right before. So they'd gone to the Olympics. It was like the 2012 Olympics. And I think that was in London. Yep. They had just finished. And his partner that he played with went to go pick up uh, the gold medals from 2008, Phil Dahlhauser. So he broke up with him and uh, he called me. And I'm I'd only won a few tournaments at this point. I think I'd maybe beaten them a few times, but not as much as they destroyed me so much more. But I think he saw the potential. Yeah. So he gave me a call and I was like, what? This is like a dream come true. Of course. And so I just went all in, quit all any other side jobs, anything I had, it was gone. And I was only doing volleyball, which was those four years, like that quad leading up to the Olympics was probably the raddest part of my life ever yeah so you guys had a pretty sick run like i was looking it up so you were avp team of the year in 2013 2014 and 2016 <laughs> yeah. you personally avp best offensive player 2013 usav beach team of the year 2013 yeah. On the AVP, you guys first overall, 2013, 2014, just that time frame you just mentioned, just like massive success. Yeah. Yeah. So during that time, kind of give us a little sense of like, what what is the tour like? Yeah. Like how many stops, how many players, what's your training like? Yeah. Where are you training? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So we both lived in Huntington Beach. I kind of moved there because it was a hybrid beach between kind of like a little bit more family friendly and like activities and like rad stuff going on along with a really cool beach culture. And what makes Huntington unique is the courts are all really close together and all in one location, kind of by the pier on either side. Mm -hmm. So there's like this, you almost feel like you're playing in like a gladiator arena every day because everyone goes to that beach on vacation just randomly throughout the year. And so we'd always like court one on the south side was like the, the better side because there's less courts and so it was more prestigious, right? And so you kind of had to earn your way over there. And so court one on that south side became like our court. And I would go and groom it. I'd wake up at like 5 a.m. and go lock all my stuff to the pole so no one would take the court. Or sometimes I'd go the night before 
and lock my gear to the net and just leave it there overnight. Yeah. Because people wanted it so bad because it was like perfect. It was flat. All the other ones were bowled out and ruined. Mm -hmm. And we took care of it because you had the pier right behind the kind of on like the north side. And then you had the like the beach uh, path on the other. And then there's Duke's restaurant right there. Yeah. And then everyone's walking along the pier. And so it became this thing where while you're practicing, you felt like you were at a tournament. So for me, that was like, oh, dude, I'm going to try all the time versus just when I feel good. So it was this cool, like, that's the starting point of like giving you guys the visual. Like, that's where we trained, right? And so we lived in Huntington. Um, a buddy I played against and it was also friends with Jake was Tyler Hildebrand, who was, you know, like a national player of the year at Long Beach Setter. He was unreal. And he was an indoor guy still playing. And he was, had a bunch of knee surgeries and he was kind of on his way out. But he had this mindset of like, really high level Olympic type coaching ability indoors and running an offense, but then also had played beach. So he understood that world too. And I felt like no one had really creeped over into tapping into studying film the way the indoor guys do and strategizing and game planning and, and practicing and building a structure around a team like the indoor. It was more, Hey bro, can you come to practice? Oh, cool. And they get like their buddy to come like throw balls with them. It wasn't like the indoor side where you've got staff and everything support system. And so I told, you know, we kind of came together and decided we wanted to do this all together and kind of form this hybrid version of what we thought would work the best. And it's funny because now that's what USA Beach Volleyball is doing. So everything that we kind of like did, mm -hmm. that's how they're like structuring their whole program now, which is awesome to be kind of like have Tyler kind of lead the path to that and have us just be kind of like the guys that could help him step, get his feet in the door. So we'd train every day in Huntington. I mean, I was two blocks away to ride my bike. It was insane. It was my favorite four years ever because we were all so close. Jake and I would train. We'd have international teams come in. We had Tyler as our coach. We had Rich Lamborn, gold medalist on the indoor side when they won in 2008 and also played at BYU before me as our like technical defensive and like passing coach because he was a libero. And then we also had Troy Crutchfield who was video analysis. So he would sit under the pier on a bench with his computer plugged into our camera. And while we we're recording practice, he's, he's entering code that's basically put it into a software called Data Volley and it would process it all so that when we were done, he'd hand us like a USB stick and we'd have everything coded where I could type in like right side serve receive and it would show every ball that I got served on my right side during the entire practice. And then my, and I could watch how I approached and my, my good swings, my bad swings and see how I could fine tune like being more efficient in that scenario. And there was like 30 of those scenarios, defense, offense, serving, receive, all that kind of stuff. I mean, dude, it's like, how do you not succeed when you have all these things? Then we'd go lift weights, we'd eat lunch, and then we'd go to Anaheim, where the national team trains, and we'd, we'd go lift weights with our strength coach, Tim Below, and our nutritionist, Sean, was there, and she would check on us before we went and lifted. And then Tim would talk to us about how do we feel after practice? What was the load like? All right, this is the plan. I mean, like you're thrown into this like wheel, that like this whole engine, and you're like, wow, I can't, I hope I don't let anybody down, because this is amazing. And I'd never had access to a structure like that ever in my life. And to think about it now, it's like, that's why specific companies are successful. That's why specific athletes are successful. They have the natural talent and the ability and they kind of put the work in early, but then it's that structure of a team around them that makes them almost like unstoppable. Like you can't touch them. Wow. What an exciting time to be a part of something like that. So much analytics. Like I would have not expected oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Because there's different styles of players. Like the Polish teams are very clean. They're their ball handling is like unbelievable and they play a very structured game. So you can almost count how they're going to play. So you have to train to 
like that kind of a team, right? So when we prepare for those guys, we have to play a little different. Then the Brazilians are very like flashy and they've got, they live that life. And so they're very like, they feed off emotion and they live in the moment and they really like execute some strategic things that you didn't really notice. Then the Russian guys are just like, every one of them hit it super hard. They're all tall, they all hammer and you can count on them hitting most of the time. And so your whole, like the way you train and you, and, and you prepare is you need to be, kind of like universal in that because it's like matchups like we talked about before but I mean it gets so technical that's like all right we're going to go to this event in Switzerland in Stad up in the mountains like epic spot like how do we train because the sand is deeper there all right now we're going to actually go to Hermosa and practice for the next month because the sand's deeper there what's the wind usually like well it's usually kind of like an offshore breeze and never gets more than 15 miles an hour cool I know that I have this type of serve and then the elevation you play at as, I mean, it goes into so many different factors yeah. and that's just the conditions. Right. And then you have, how do I maximize myself on the right side? And then when I go back on the left, how do I, what, what's, what are my go-tos? I mean, and you're watching film on everyone's tendencies and then you're also game plan on top of that. Like, Hey, we have all this data, but don't just live by the data because it never really like pans out. You only need that for two or three points. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time is kind of play by play and moment by moment. But how do we, how do we leverage that and cause hesitation and create stress even when we're on defense and we make them stressed out on offense? Like what are the things that we use? And so you have like three or four different plays in one specific type of defense that kind of keep that dude anxious and kind of stressed out on what we're doing because he doesn't know, right? And so you're dealing with his vision and the pockets of time that you use. You try not to give him too much information so that you can kind of hold and then kind of take advantage of it. It's, I mean, it's like any sport. I mean, you get into cornhole and those guys are just like, yeah. I talk to those dudes <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. The spin, the flat side, the, the sticky side, like all that stuff. And you're like, dude, it, any sport you could really get like so obsessed with. Yeah. It's crazy. That's so cool to hear. So just the tour itself. Yeah. How many stops? You know, yeah. I mean, obviously global sport. Yeah. So you're playing in the U.S. on the AVP and then what else? Yeah. So we're on the national team and that's where we get most of our support. Like we get all our, our structure and coaching stipends that we can kind of like utilize for our coaching staff. And then we have like the nutritionists and the strength coach. Those are provided by USA Volleyball. And then we get like a salary. Our insurance is paid for. And then we would get like flight per diems to go on like 12 to 15 uh, international events throughout the summer. And is this just as an AVP pro, this is all provided to all the pros? So it's like two separate entities. That's just USA Volleyball and playing on the FIVB, which is like the world tour, which is the highest level of the sport you can play. Of beach? Of beach. Okay. And then the AVP is our pro tour. And so that's separate. That's just the best players in the United States. Okay. And we get most of our, I mean, we have, I think there was between six to eight stops a summer when there used to be back when I used to watch it like 24. Mm. And so there used to be three times the amount of events when I wanted to go be a pro and then it got cut down to about eight. So there's much less time to win. You'll never catch up to the all time guys because you never have enough opportunities, right? Like I could play the rest of my life and never catch up. Yeah. They have 700 events. I've got like a hundred, you know, there's no way I could catch up. Why were the events cut? Well, it used to be run by the players. The AVP was started and run by the players. And so they were leveraging the deals with like old Miller Lite and, you know, Oakley and all these monster brands that were just pumping money into events. And these guys were playing for a million dollars an event. They all were making, I mean, you got a ninth place guy. Like, let's say he's got only ninths all season long. He was making, you know, 150, 200 grand mm. to just play beach volleyball. And that's back when the dollar was worth a lot more. Right. And so yeah. now it's like we play to win a tournament. We split 20 grand. 
Mm. and there's only eight so it was like we had to be very sponsorship heavy mm-hmm. and really like leverage relationships with sponsors and getting paid through them so that we could go play and it was more just fun to play and that was a, a platform to get sponsors to then go play world tour and try to go to the olympics yeah so the fivb and the olympic tour like the fi that they just basically control the olympic points and then the pro tour is way more fun it's the lifestyle here is so much more like how beach volleyball should be and the sponsorships and just being able to play in like real beaches. That's why we do that. And then the world tour is just like, it's all just like, it could be in the middle of Vienna in the city center with sand. It's shallow, but you're in a cool spot. Right. But it's very different and the ball is different. It's just weird. So over a course of a summer, we're probably playing around 20 tournaments and you'd be playing in, let's say we have like Huntington beaches going on right now. And then we'd get on a flight that night after the finals and go straight to like Shanghai. And then from Shanghai, we'd play and then we'd have like a two day gap and we'd have to fly to like Germany, like Berlin and go play in Berlin. And then we have to fly back and maybe go play in a Hermosa event. And then two days later, go back and fly. Like we got to go to Japan and then you're in Switzerland, Spain, and then you got to come back and play in Atlanta. Like you're just, you're basically on an airplane for six months straight (laughs) and you play, you know, the ratio is probably like if you're doing it in, let's just say out of a 10, it's like you're playing volleyball. 0.5 amount of the time and the rest, you know, the 9.5 of the 10 that's left is all travel. But I mean, if the timing's right in your life, you're obsessed with the sport. I mean, there sounds like nothing better. Like that's what you would want. Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't have done it until I was 43 if I didn't. Right. Like I was way too old against these 19 year olds who are jumping three times higher. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you had to love it. You had to really love it. All right. So talk to me a little bit about the run up to and the Olympics. Yeah. It was uh, on the AVP was awesome because Jake and I went four in a row. And f- up to that point, I'd won, a f- you know, my first AVP, I think in 2009. And then after that, it was like kind of infrequently, like two or three in- at here, but not like in a row ever. Yeah. And we go four in a row. And I'm like, dude, is this re-? after each one? I'm like the second one, you know, we win the first one and we win the second. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like I always thought this was how it should have been like I I wanted to be this and I always envisioned it but having it actually happen was so like surreal in a sense and then we went a third I'm like wow and then we'd be laughing with my wife like is this really happening I mean I know we're putting in the work but it's just weird that it we're still winning you know and then we win another one we're like what's happening <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I think what happened is we went we won the last four and then the first one of the next year so we actually went five in a row and it was like we were like one away from like breaking a record of events in a row and I was just like dude I don't even feel like I belong here half the time and we're winning these you know yeah so those avp years were amazing because we were so successful and we were such a we played really well on tour on u.s soil that was like our wheelhouse yeah and then on the world tour we played really good like our first two events i mean we got like a ninth and some open to prep for some grand slam and i was had so much pressure because he'd finished number one in the world and i came out of nowhere with zero points but he brings me in with all his points. So a seed drops. And now everyone's looking at me like, who's this dude that Jake picked up that no one knows about? <laughs> so there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> and I fulfilled the guy's name that was Sean Rosenthal, a.k.a. Superman. And so he was the guy that would just bounce balls over the, out of the sky. And so I replaced a guy who was like iconic to the game. And I was like a nobody trying to find my voice in a sense. So those were like... You know, first event, we got a ninth and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope Jake doesn't feel like he made a mistake. Like this is our first event. And then we go to the next Grand Slam and we win the whole thing. (laughs) 
And I was like, all right, hopefully I justified his choice right there, right? Because yeah. I kind of got served every ball and that was the new guy trying to prove myself. And then we went to another final in a row and we went to Argentina and got into another final. And I was telling Jake, I'm like, bro, you said this was hard. Like kind of joking around. But it was like, we had such a good start to our, our, uh, our partnership that I think it was able to withstand any sort of like dips or lulls where we weren't. And I think that really helped build like a real strong foundation and a lot like any other sport, if you have a hard time in the beginning, because you have so many options and there are so many players, it's like, it's easy to just go looking somewhere else. Yeah. But I think we, because we stayed loyal and we put the work in it, it helped us stay together. So those four years were amazing because we were doing all the work and you didn't show up to an event thinking, did I train enough? Am I prepared? You're just like, dude, I'm frothing at the mouth to go play because training is so much harder than playing. I'm so excited. A tournament was like a vacation for us. Right. So it was really fun. And I'd say the most stressful time was like the two years leading up and the points and everyone asking, hey, are you guys going to the Olympics? And at that time, there was three teams in the top 15 in the world ranking from the US and only two get to go if that happens. And so I think, I mean, it was a battle and it came down to the last event in Russia for us to qualify. It's the most stressful event ever. And a team that was right on, we were like tied and they needed to get like a fifth and we had to like medal. Or if they got like a fifth, we would have to win. You know, it was like one of those scenarios where like, oh my gosh. And they could have get an easy pool with like teams that aren't very good. And you're like, how's this even fair? We have all the Brazilians in our pool and they have guys that we've never even heard of, you know? So a lot of it's out of your hands. So it was so stressful. But like we ended up getting a bronze in that event and, and qualifying. And that was almost like the win in a sense, like just making it just happen. Just making it. Because there was so much stress. I mean, you had all these people, your family, I had kids I didn't even like watch grow up. I'd come home and they were walking and I left. They couldn't even say my name. You know, it was like weird. Yeah. It was weird. But having the opportunity to go all in on something like that, I'd never experienced before in my life. I'd always sneak away to go play to try to like get as many reps as I could, but I, I couldn't dedicate it and justify it and let everyone know that I was doing that. So to be able to do that was like, dude, it was like... Uh, a magic like four years in this time warp where you're like dude this is awesome yeah it's incredible so i mean just cool. to to realize your potential that yeah. was almost imperative to do that like yeah you couldn't have done it any other way no it would have been impossible yeah and to understand what it took to and all the moving parts was like the biggest lesson i took from that is like it wasn't just me putting work in it was all these people putting work in and then on me and then try not to be so selfish that I always, it's always about me. It's like making sure they know that I appreciate it, but it's the, the power that we have when we put, we're all in on one thing and we build a team of believers around us that we believe in too. I mean, it's like, i you could go to the Olympics in four years in any sport if you like with minimal ex, ex, like experience, because it's crazy what we could do. And we just hone in on one thing and just like dive in all in like, like what do they call it? Uh, you just burn the boats, yeah. right? Burn the boats, dude. You're on the, you're on the land. No going back now. You know, you could survive. It's cool. So that was yeah. kind of like what I felt like, oh, dude, I experienced that a little bit. Yeah, really cool. And so after you qualify, you know, you're headed to Rio, yeah. right? That's where it was? Yeah. 2016? Yeah. What was that experience like? That was cool because we played there all the time. We played Grand Slam there earlier in the year. 
I became really good friends. I feel like I have like an attachment with Brazilians because I play very emotional. And so I like, I'm attracted to watching them play in their style. And so I've become very good friends with them. And when we play, we kind of like butt heads because it's like two of the same styles conflicting. But I became real good friends with like the, the DJs and the organizers and the players. And so I felt like I was almost home in a sense. It was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and so playing there felt very like, and it felt very like comforting versus stressful. Right. And I'd always imagined it being something so scary and stressful because that's the Olympics. And I'm like, wow, I'm here all the time. I know everybody, all these familiar faces. It's nothing new. So it was just fun for me. It was actually cool. I thought it'd be way more nervous and I wasn't. It was just like fun. Yeah. And you get to walk the opening ceremonies. I did. That whole thing. Oh, that took forever. Man, make sure you bring like band-aids for your shoes and you don't get because you're walking like three, four hours in line to get to the arena. And you're just like in these like weird loafers that you've never worn before and they're just cutting your feet open. But it was cool being around that, being around people that you know put all like, we're all in the same yeah. little Did world. Did the same of, thing yeah, for the previous four years. Sport. Yeah. Yeah. The feeling around them was just weird. It, like I've never felt like I was floating more in my life. Like everyone, I'm like, dude, we are around like, this is probably like the most in shape group of humans <laughs> on planet earth right now you know yeah. so who'd you meet yeah all the nba guys all the nba guys are there. you know you say high five like hey dude big fan or whatever and and then you know the the gymnasts and like you just kind of like circle around and see everybody i've got to be really good friends with some of the track athletes and uh some of uh other athletes from just like other countries and different sports and it's a really cool like really cool world just going in like they have this they have this like cool like semi-permanent tent for the weight room and it was like a Costco. It was like walking to a Costco and there was just equipment everywhere. And walking in there the first time, I was like, this is the most fit gym on planet Earth. It was the coolest feeling. Everyone's just getting after it. And you're like, whoa. My strength coach is like, hey, because he'd been there before. I was like, hey, guys, let's take it easy because you get really excited. There's a lot of like energy and excitement in here. And everyone's like going too hard right now and the Olympics haven't even started like yeah. it's the day before don't hurt yourself <laughs> so right there's not too much to be gained in the oh, weight room the day before yeah look <laughs> you've already done the work don't just because you're here get so excited you want to PR you know yeah. <laughs> so but it was rad being around all of that and the the energy and because our event was on the beach we were like three hours from the Olympic like the what do they call that I already forgot like but the village yeah the village we were so far from the village that we actually got to stay at like a Marriott right on the beach. Oh, cool. So it was like, and our families are all there with us. We're like, all right, this is so rad. So we would just stay there and it was like a half mile to the event. And so it made it easy for everybody, but it was so cool being there right on Copacabana, like right there on the, on the sand. And, uh, yeah, that experience was really cool. And it was probably our, like our worst event as a team that we'd ever had. We came out playing really well, beat this team from Qatar, who's really a Brazilian and a guy from Senegal who's like one of the best players in the world now that they like kind of recruited over to play for their country. Sure. And so they were like a deadly, like dark horse team that you're like, you got to look out. These guys could win the whole thing if we're not careful. We ended up beating them and then having two like gnarly battles against a team from Spain that's, I they've been around forever that are amazing. And then an Austrian team that we always kind of struggled with. They had like a funky offense that they ran quick and moved around. And so we had to really like dial them in. But we went from being like first in the pool to not making it out because of a win loss against those mm. other two teams against each other. Yeah. So it was like everyone was tied, but we were the top team. And then because a team didn't win, we got knocked out. It was the worst feeling ever, like gut wrenching. Yeah. But immediately you were like, I mean, the journey was 
yeah, winning a gold medal is cool, but what is it going to change my life? Like, I don't think so. I feel like I learned more from this four year struggle and the support and like the team and everything and the family and everything around that was like so valuable that I was like, all right, I'm not going to have a bad attitude about this. Although I feel like I want to throw up all the time. I'm going to go just enjoy the rest of this with my family because as athletes you have like access to all these things that you don't as like just general public so i'm like i'm gonna go take my family to the gopro house we're gonna have vip access we're gonna go jet ski we're gonna do all these things we're gonna go over to the oakley house because i was sponsored by all these guys i'm like let's go have fun and to this day they're like that was the greatest week of our lives yeah and i'm like i'm glad it wasn't just selfish poopy pants and i just made it happen like because they got me there just as much as i put in the work, you know, the support. So that was like the lesson I learned from that, even though of course winning a medal would be cool. You know, I feel like it's, you take what you, you really need out of it. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I mean, that's a great way to look at it. Like you said, it's the journey. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the medal is cool. Like, and I created this like 24 hour, 24 hour rule on the world tour. Cause I've, Felix just like such a kid. Like anytime you want a medal on the world tour, it, every match you play is like a final. And to win the whole event and you played 10 teams, like you played 10 finals and won, you feel you're exhausted. You're like, dude, how do we do that? Yeah. Every time and you're like, how did we win? It's how many things had to go our way for this to happen along with us playing well. It's, in, it's like insane. So I was like, all right, I'm wearing this thing for 24 hours, no matter what. Through the airport, like awkwardly taking off through the middle check, you're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and then they'd ask him like, oh, so I'm glad you asked. You know, just being goofy. And so it turned into this thing now where like, any of the athletes that know about that, they'll do the same thing now, yeah. now that I'm done. So it's like, it's fun to hopefully leave something fun like that behind. But I think, uh, yeah, that experience was just, you can't, I wouldn't exchange it for anything. That's awesome. So kind of wrapping up your, your volleyball journey, you know, the next, what, like seven years you play pro. Yeah. You just retired in yeah, last 20, summer. Last summer. Yeah. And so just, you know, how, how'd that go? I know you played with Phil Dahlhauser for yeah. a bit at the end. Yeah. Who's like, he's a household name in volleyball. Yeah. So he won a gold medal in 2008. So I think that's okay. how everyone like, and he's got big tall guy. They called him like the thin beast and he's bald. And so yeah. it's like kind of got this iconic look where you remember it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you, you guys played together for a bit, but, but then you ended up retiring uh, last year. So just, you know, just how'd that all yeah. close out? Yeah. I, I went from living in Huntington and being what, two blocks on the water to moving back to kind of where I grew up and then helping uh, the sports Academy with their beach volleyball. I was like the director of their beach volleyball program. Cause they have two indoor beach courts in the oh, facility. Cool. Yeah. And so I kind of ran the program there. So I was doing that while I was still playing. And so location wise, it's about like an hour and a half from my house to Hermosa if you do it at like 5 a.m. with no traffic. Right. <laughs> and if you do have traffic, it's like could be a two and a half hour, three hour drive just to get there. If I miss it by like a 30 minute pocket, you're in trouble. Like you might as well just go back. Yeah. I'd done that for what, six, seven years. And I was trying to, you know, still train. I had had three more kids since then. So now I have five and I'm putting, you know, three, four hours in the car of just driving and then training. And then I'd come back and coach from like 2 p.m. till like 9 p.m. because I was coaching all the age groups. Mm-hmm. And so that just caught up with me. And I was like, I feel like I'm 20 years older yeah. in one year. And so it just got harder and harder to get the right partners that are still playing on the world tour because there's a very small, like we all know each other, but then there's like that elite group in the groups that, you know, like, all right, I know if I pick with this guy, we could go beat anybody. If I have to pick somebody that's kind of like a potential guy that's like on his rise, who knows what could happen? And so sure. You're like, I'm kind of old to play that game right now. I need somebody that's like kind of with me. 
to make sure that happens. And so I was still getting those like every other year type of thing. And then I took a chance on like a Chase Budinger who played in the NBA for a while. And we ended up dominating, being number one on tour, uh, won Hermosa and like his first event ever. And so it was like, that kind of rejuvenated me halfway through this time of moving far away. And then he, you know, kind of split up with me and went with another guy and then that didn't work out. They came back and then we won all three AV or we won all three, went to all three finals, but we won two of the events. So we finished number one again. And I was like, dude, why are you (laughs) jumping around? But it was like a little bit of a roller coaster those last couple of years. And so that makes it harder too, when you're training and trying to do it full time, you're like, I don't have the team. I'm basically by myself. We don't have a coach. Um, we have to like ask a buddy to throw balls at us at practice he's he's new and needs all this information and structure to help him like thrive it was just like so much harder but i think just being a dad and kind of a veteran it was easy to recognize those moments like bring them to attention like look this is the scenario we got to figure out how to do it ourselves you know and so we did a good job of that but it was definitely more of a roller coaster than the dream world in huntington two blocks from the water it was like everything against me here and then there it was like if you failed it was embarrassing because you lived on the beach you know <laughs> so it was a much different much different dynamic um and then being older you're not recovering as much and traveling's harder another thing is the the prize money started to go down and then sponsorship started to like get more scarce and so it was just you couldn't put all your chips in and make a living off it sure before it was like way easier right and, and so, so you had essentially a legendary volleyball career. We hadn't really talked too much about it, but like the money you made from volleyball versus the sponsorship money, like, can you compare those two? And and who were your sponsors? Yeah, so that's a fun world I love talking about because I feel like that's more of the success than if you don't have it, it's almost impossible. You're like homeless trying to make it happen. Yeah. But I think, so prize money wise, it's like we were, like let's say that first year, 2013, Jake and I, we win, there is what, seven events and we won four of them. So we won over half of them. And we, I think we only made like maybe 50 grand. Mm. <laughs> like that's not a lot. I mean, you could go to Starbucks and work full time and make more money. Sure. And you get insurance. Like we don't get <laughs> anything, right? Like, yeah. And we're not, you're not training and dedicating all this time away to hopefully go make money. You're just, you go and you clock in, you clock out. Yeah. So it was like, that was just on the AVP, but then our sponsorships were like, we were clearing, you know, probably 150,000 before we even played a tournament. Okay. And so sponsors at that time was like a Mizuno, Wilson, Oakley, like GoPro, like all these like brands. And they weren't all paying a ton of money. They would always give you a little chunk here and there. Right. And so usually your apparel one's like the biggest and Mizuno was just tapping into the space of beach. There'd been a big indoor one. And so we were kind of helping them develop that product the port to entry was like very slow for them. And so we were just, you know, making 20 grand each or something on the year. And then signing with like Rockstar and we're making like another like 40, you're like sick. And like, you know, it would get better every year. And so you just, you just gathered a bunch of those, right? And then throughout the summer, you'd add little locational ones. Like, oh, Manhattan Beach, this restaurant wants to give you five grand, throw a load. You're like, sweet, yeah. I'm an assassin for hire, just throw it on, whatever, you know, because you had to. So by the end of the year, I mean like those four years that Jake and I played, we probably made like, you know, between, 250 to 350 grand on the year, mm-hmm. which to go play volleyball full time. We're like, this I'll take, if I could do this the rest of my life, I would. Yeah. Like absolutely. that's enough. I'm not worried about money. I'm not rich. I can't retire off this, but like, at least I'm not like stressing right now about money, like, which was nice. Yeah. It was nice to have. And then we were the first athletes ever to, to kind of have financial support from Lululemon in mm. 2015. We signed with them. 
Um, we went from Mizuno and switched over to Lulu. And before then, they'd only given like product and help support in their community. And they're like, we want to kind of add to the level of support we can provide to help these guys or athletes go towards the Olympics. And so we were like the first players ever, Jake and I, the first ones ever to kind of have financial support from them along with everything else, which was like a really cool thing. Yeah, that's cool. We met with the, the founder and all their like corporate guys. We did the hike up the mountain as he interviewed us. It was like the really cool thing. So that was like, and to be associated with that brand was so cool. Yeah. Because for us, it was always seen as like very much more of a women's like yoga brand. And they were transitioning and trying to be more of a men's, have more men's footprint too. We were kind of like helping them do that, you know? And so you get in with brands like that and you kind of get introduced to like Red Bull and you know all these other brands that are like, iconic and so even if you're not getting paid like a lot of these other athletes at least you're in like you're kind of in the family and you're associated and so you you learn that your relationships are like majority of your value yeah and maintaining a good relationship with everyone even if they cut you you're like hey cool you know i'll let me know if you need anything you know even if they don't feel like you're their athlete anymore i always kept every door open because it's paid off after you know what i mean you like you can connect and, and open doors for things so it's it's a different world because on the prize money side, you're not making a ton of money, but then combined with both, you're like, all right, we can yeah. do this full time yeah, and make it happen. So that's kind of like the, you kind of navigated that the world tour and Red Bull would like threaten to start a tour with, uh, this guy, Hannes from Austria, who's amazing. <laughs> He's so rad. He had his own tour and he ran the biggest, most successful event in Klagenfurt, Austria, this little town by a lake. It's insane. And there would be a line out the stadium like weeks before they would camp and wait because once you got in, you could keep your seat as long as you didn't leave. So people would plan on going for that whole day and then get back in line, right? And then go in for them, like maybe they'd skip a day because they couldn't get in. And they're just raging. They have fire hoses at the top of these the stadium. Just And then they have chants with the DJ and everyone's cheering. I mean, beach volleyball is actually way cooler outside of the U.S. Really? Way cooler. That's cool. It's so fun. Interesting. So that during that time, there was a like this word of a competing tour because they were going to give offer way more prize money. Mm -hmm. And so what it did is it actually created a cool thing where it made the FIVB forced to join with them and raise the prize pool. So we were making more money in those four years from the world tour than it had in a long time. Yeah. So it kind of lucked out timing wise where we could make some good money at least in prize money compared to what it was right along with sponsorships so that's like the kind of the world that we navigated for a good amount of the time and then you just constantly on hunt for new sponsors or relationships if someone doesn't want to kind of sponsor you or that's kind of like it's always kind of cycling through right who wants to be in the industry so i mean financially it was kind of a roller coaster and it's not great for your significant other she's right. like are we going to win tournaments or are we going to resign like what are we doing you're constantly kind of like at war you're out battling all that there's no time off you know and so but i kind of thrived off that mm -hmm. like it wasn't like i had made a salary and i could just sit back and kind of do my job just enough to not get fired it was like i have to be like at the top of my game all the time right you got to perform to make money yeah and you got to perform to yeah. keep the sponsors yeah and stay healthy you know what yeah, I mean? say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, not to mention yeah so I kind of, you kind of thrive off that, like, there's a little bit of like this scary, fun feeling where you're like, ooh, we could be gone at any second, so I'm going to go all in. <laughs> yeah. So that whole financial situation sounds kind of similar to what's going on in pickleball, yeah. where, where there's not a whole lot of money just from tournaments. The players need sponsorships yeah. to kind of stay on the road, that, yeah. that type of thing. Speaking of pickleball, when did that enter the equation? Well, probably for most of us, I mean, that didn't play before was during COVID. Okay. 
I mean, forces you to stay home and you're like, oh, okay. They took all the nets down at the beach. Oh, that's right. The beaches. Yeah, that was even closed. They took the nets down and they were resting. Like anyone who would try to go play or surfers, they were pulling them out of the water. It's like, that was, I remember that's, that. the, that's I mean, the that, place we needed to be. I know, so insane. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Our buddies would send us videos of like surfers getting like hunted down by lifeguards and police out. I mean, it was crazy. So we couldn't go out there. But then somehow we were allowed to play pickleball and tennis because they considered it like like a sport that was far enough apart. Which okay. In right. reality, you're a lot closer. I don't know why. And I just, for fun, started playing because all the dads in this area that we live in and at church, they held this one event. My wife and I played and we won. And like everyone was just like, I mean, we could barely hit it up. Didn't know the rules. Yeah. But I was like, this is actually really fun. And then the kids loved it. So we'd go every day and I'd just play with my kids. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of dads would show up and then we started this like morning group where we kept track of every win and loss and points. And it was like, oh, well, I need to be the number one guy. Yeah. So never went, now we're all like lifting and training in the morning and like getting all excited and we're terrible, but we just, it's still dark outside and we're taping lines on tennis courts and going to playing. <laughs> and so it just kind of like turned into our thing when we didn't have anything else. This is all in Camarillo? Yeah, like Pitts Ranch. We got in trouble from the city. They had to like, hey guys, you got to wait till seven because we'd be there like 6.15 with our car lights and taping the lines and like being ready. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe dinking if we could see a little bit because we're like, we need to maximize this time. Yeah. And so it just kind of blossomed from there. Just kind of obsessed because the volleyball world was getting harder to like maintain and the, like the financial structure and the events and the time it took to go. That was getting harder and harder. And this was right here all the time. I didn't have to even talk to anybody. I could just show up and put my paddle in and go compete. Like, and there's a challenge court. Like, how rad is this? It was everything that all the other sports I'd never really even had. It like had everything. Yeah. Like basketball, you can maybe sometimes go to like a 24 and run like a full court, like whatever, just show up and play. Even volleyball, it's impossible. You have to know people. You got to show up. You got to have all, everyone has to be good. It's like, it's so much harder to do that. Yeah, and even a sport like tennis, so close to pickleball. Yeah. You can't go play pickup tennis anywhere. Yeah, like, hey, I'm I, here. I mean, that really that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. It was like the perfect like storm of everything you'd always wanted in a sport. Yeah. It was really cool. So I just got hyper obsessed with it. Yeah. And so you end up playing a little more volleyball after you pick up pickleball. Yeah. You mentioned before like your relationships, you know, with brands or, you know, just people in professional sports or, yeah. or whoever. And I could see that you know, those have continued because now I, I think you have a lot of things going on in the pickleball world in the sports world. Yeah. So you were kind of able to easily slide into yeah. some cool worlds in pickleball right away. Yeah. It was like a natural, just an, it was so new at that point too, that I could see how fast pickleball is growing just cause I, okay, I started in COVID. It was like an underground popular sport in a sense, or people just like really made fun of it and they still do, but it's how much it's like global now. Right. Yeah. That's only in like two year span. And I could see like how fast it was going. I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's really nothing. There's very few podcasts that talked about pickleball. Mm -hmm. There was, you have to YouTube. It was like, OG uh, Kyle Yates and maybe Ben winning like a us open. And they're both like teenagers against, you know I mean? Like, these old school dudes have been playing forever somewhere, you know? And besides that, there was like almost nothing to even watch. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, you can't get enough of it. And so I saw that like, that's how now the AVP was, right? It started as like, all right, players were getting good at it. And we saw an opportunity and they created this like infrastructure. And then it went bankrupt because they like kind of ran in the ground and then it got picked up again. And then it went bankrupt again in 2010, picked up again. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is kind of on that weird, like really fast trajectory. And then it's going to be mismanaged or no, no one's going to really know what to do. And hopefully it doesn't just like crash, you know? And so as a player, 
I saw the opportunities for sponsorships, for maybe forming a union for yourself and like protecting yourself because it's going to get weird, which it did. It was like tours fighting, billionaires are competing with competing tours. We had the same thing. We had like three or four tours. Yeah. And we had to like pick our best friend and everyone would be like, really, bro, you're not going to play on my tour? And you're like, dude, come on. Like I want to win the most prize money, but at the same time, I want it to be like count for something. So sometimes the more prize money was on the tour that didn't matter. But I wanted, I didn't want to, I wanted to protect the nest and not let go somebody get their name on the pier in Manhattan. Yeah. You know? And so you're like, and then the tours are trying to have exclusivity. Like you can't go play over here. You have to play with us. And you're like, well, you only have two events. They have 10 and I could go win all of those. You know, it's like weird. And I could see like pickleball kind of like growing into that, like, oh, it's going to get kind of dicey. But then at the same time, you guys, there's a lot of opportunity because in beach volleyball, we never had something to go buy besides like the ball. Everything else is like an accessory to the game, you know? For, for volleyball. It's like we would wear surf brand clothes and then we would go buy surf brand sunglasses and surf brand sunblocks. And like, it was always another sports something to bring to us. Okay. And then you see pickleball, we are like, wow, you guys could really own your own thing in all these worlds because you could just create them and have them be for pickleball. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to like outsource to other, other sports. And so I think there's like, there's an industry, just the paddle, the ball and how much people cycle through those way more than a volleyball some people have a volleyball for 10 years they don't buy a new one and you're like right it's terrible but that's just how it works where you can maybe do that with the paddle but they're advancing and the science behind it goes so much faster it's like oh my gosh you guys there's such a huge opportunity here for you to like really make money yeah it's crazy and so i remember like i was just on social media talk to people like dude that's so awesome good for you and then ben and rob nunnery had that podcast in the beginning right and mm-hmm. um they came to me and Hermosa right after practice, right on the, the beach path there. And we did a podcast there. And then he jumped in the sand and played volleyball with me. It was like, dude, this is insane. This is so rad. And then I got a chance to go play with them again up in Santa Barbara. And it was like, dude, I'm already like playing with these top guys, just at least being around them and hanging out. This yeah. is cool. And being able to maybe got, offer some advice and, and help them understand the kind of the trajectory of what some things they could do to protect themselves and, and create a more valuable product for themselves and for the fans was like, I loved sharing that because I'd learned all of that in beach volleyball. It's like- That's crazy because aside from the similarities with the multiple tours and the the money situation on court too, you know, you mentioned right side player, left side player, you're talking about volleyball and getting served at all the time. So what are some of those similarities on court that you've seen? Dude, it's like, Besides the fact that you don't get three contacts, you just get one in pickleball, like sure. <laughs> everything's exactly the same. Right. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. I think the hardest part is having a paddle in your hand versus like using both arms. Like I want a double paddle tour where I could use both hands. And like right. Scoop, you know, because you train yourself. But there's so many similarities when it comes to someone getting targeted. So in beach volleyball, you serve the guy that's weaker, you know, and you use ratios. It's like, okay, I'm going to go four to one. I'm going to give the weaker guy four balls and then I'm going to speed up at the one if he's not, because he's kind of like getting anxious. Yeah. If he's not ready, we're going to get him kind of bummed out. And then the guy that's struggling is bummed. And then the guy that should be taking over is a little bit bummed, right? It's the same thing in pickleball, right? You could be picking on score a few and then test the other guy in score. And then that's when their morale and like their confidence just drops. Yeah. So there's like that. Then there's a right side. You just, you train specific strategies and patterns to like, the most finite like point because you need to maximize this part of the court and you know specific angles and shifts and strategy against types of players and then together how we change do we work the middle do we work the edge do we go you know what i mean like all the strategies around that are so similar Mm -hmm. 
it's like in beach i'm gonna i'm gonna play a guy because his tendency is to hit angle and shoot line all right we're gonna set up our defense to really confuse him and take advantage you know similar to like a a pickleball, the guy has a really good forehand speed up or drive, you know, you're going to adjust to that and then play to st- other stuff. So sure. it's so similar. And how you flow together is the same. Yeah. Okay. And so in doubles, in pickleball, you're not necessarily picking the best partner, you know, skill wise around you. Right. You're kind of trying to get the best person that's going to match with you. Yeah. Is that similar in volleyball? <laughs> it's so much like dating. Yeah. It's more like a relationship than an actual sport. Beach volleyball is like, it's all like a chemistry thing mm-hmm. and having like elite talent and chemistry is where like magic, like a Ben and, and uh, Colin half, right? Yeah. That chemistry is just as important as the skill because you need almost like this feeling of knowing when you hit a certain ball, where we're going without even saying anything verbally. Yeah. And then when I know you're setting something up, not getting in the way thinking I'm going to go take this ball, even though I know you're setting up for you. Well, allowing that to happen and kind of flowing um, it's just like volleyball. Like I need to keep my partner confident so that I can maximize his ability so that I can leverage it for my advantage, right. To capitalize on really burying this team and, and, and then also keeping us up so that we're not giving away runs. We don't want to give away runs. And so we have specific things that we're talking about and points of reference to keep our minds focused on that versus if we're playing good or bad. And it's like pickleball. I mean, you can get away from you like that. Yeah. Momentum is, is crazy in the sport. Yeah. It's, it could run away quick. And so I think using those, all those partnership tactics and talking and communicating are exactly the same. Yeah. I know that volleyball used to have side out scoring. Yeah. And then now is it exclusively rally scoring? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's yeah. a lot of talk in pickleball about making the switch. MLP obviously is the rally. Yeah. Um, so did you ever play with the side out scoring I did. in volleyball? I did for indoor and beach. Okay. Yeah. And then they switched it over. When And when did they switch that? It might have been the late 90s. I think they switched late 90s, early 2000s from side out to rally. And do they do that beach and indoor simultaneously? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. The rules changed really quickly, really, really fast in a short amount of time. And the old school guys that liked the side out because it's like, oh, it's dude, we used to play four hour matches. We're like, cool. But no one wanted to watch it because it was too long. And that's why it's not on TV. So they changed it because of TV. They needed to make it consumable and they needed to have a guaranteed maximum time to put it on television. And that's why they changed it to rally. Got it. Because the side out would go forever. And it's kind of like tennis. We're like, Oh, the guys are, they have to play tomorrow. They're still playing until like 4 a.m. or they have to stop and play the next morning. Same match. Like it can't, we, they couldn't have that and have it be on TV, at least in our sport. And I think that's kind of the argument people have for pickleball is it, it would be more consumable with rally scoring because it's easier to understand. Right. Yeah. Every play is worth something. Yeah. And I think you lose a little bit of the, the like comeback kid type opportunities like if a team's down, if it's side out, you can come back and win. And most yeah. of the time you do in normal scoring. Let's say you're up like 10 and 10-3. A lot of times these teams get at least four. And then some most of the time that I've experienced, they come back and win. And in rally, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So there's there's a cool, that's cool. But then in, in rally, you can, exp, you know the game's going to go quicker, right? And so every point's worth more, which means everyone's giving 100% effort every time, not just when they're serving, you know, or they're siding out to get the ball back. So I think... We did this in beach volleyball a few times, which I've seen that they do now in pickleball is we added freezes at a specific time. Yeah. Like at match point, it freezes at like 19 or 18 or something like that. Yeah. And so teams more often than not would come back and push it to a third or then win because of that freeze. And so what it did is that you still had a, a lot amount of time that it still happened in, 
but then the freeze gave the opportunity to create drama and suspense that the crowd wanted. So it wasn't just over. Yeah. In pickleball, I played some matches rally scoring. I think it's pretty fun. Yeah. You know, every point's worth something, like you said. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, if it ever gets switched over, like, yeah. on APP or PPA. But, you know, we'll see, I guess. I think it should be switched on the rec side faster than it should be in the pros almost. Because let's say the parks, I mean, there's not enough courts, right? And there's way too many people that want to play or learn or there's, they're waiting. I mean, it's crazy over at Venn 2 where you go play. If it was rally scoring, you could count on a, a game going from between 10 and 15 minutes. Guaranteed, it never goes longer. Right. Where sometimes people that either are really good or really bad take forever, right? Because they have the battle where they're not really scoring, but everyone's playing great defense and there's epic rallies, but no one's scoring. Or they're not really scoring off their third because they can't do it right. And so no one's scoring. It's just side out, side out, side out. And so it lasts forever. And you're like, dude, it's been 40 minutes and they're still on court one where with the amount of people that are wanting to play, the rally would get people through faster. Yeah, like it's interesting that you say that because when I've brought it up at a rec session, people don't seem that into it or maybe yeah. they just haven't tried it or whatever. But I feel like maybe because of MLP, a lot of the pros, you know, they seem kind of into it. They're open to open it. Open to it. Yeah. You know, whatever kind yeah. of advances a sport or is yeah. better for the sport. For sure. You know, maybe the rec courts could benefit from that, especially when they're super crowded. Yeah. I mean, especially when it's crowded. Like, yeah. hey, after 6.30, like, we're doing rally. We got to get people through. They want to go and get back to dinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we've experimented. We played them from money all events. We did side out. And you're always waiting for a team. Yeah. Where if you have, like, a round robin thing, right, where you're waiting for a, a foursome to finish so that you can rotate and play with the next player, we sometimes wait even 30 minutes. And like, yeah. Okay, we'll play another game while we wait for their one. And then we did it rally. Everyone finished within two minutes. Yeah. No one went more than that. And so what would you think? Like, I feel like almost a rally to 21 is similar time frame as yeah. uh, side out to 11. It really is. And it's guaranteed the maximum stop time. Yeah. And that's what volleyball did too. It's like, all right, we're just going to go, we're going to rally, which I think is so much better. I personally, all the way around, it does take away a little bit of that, like comeback part. But then if you always add the, if you're playing a match, you always, you add the freeze or if, if it's one set, you add the freeze at like a 19. Yep. It doesn't go much farther than a few minutes compared to if it was uh, just a normal rally. Where compared to side out, it could go for another 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, even with a freeze, it's not going longer than it should really. Right. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's better. It's way better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Now, okay, so in volleyball, on the amateur side, just say like, you know, people out on the beach, you know, on the weekends or or whenever do people get as addicted to that as to pickleball and as there are, are there amateur volleyball tournaments? Yes, it's huge. Is it? Okay. Yeah. There's like your triple a, which is like your, you win your five Oh, you know, it's kind of like that. Okay. And it's called California beach volleyball association. And it used to be when I was growing up in high school, if you got your triple a, you were like on this list that was like iconic, right? Because it was the one level before you went pro there was, you know, novice, you know, B, a double a triple a you know kind of a thing and mm -hmm. um we don't have like we have less age group split ups we have like a you know there's like a youth and there's like the opens and then there's like a 50 and over type thing you know yeah and so once you got your triple a you were like incredible but there's an event every weekend at a beach all along the really it's and then there's grass same thing there's grass all over the u.s being played probably every weekend and then there's also indoor rec i mean volleyball like participation wise is one of the top five sports in the world so it's like there's those type of underground like just amateur events happening all the time all the time 
very similar to like the pro events where you play and then you, the pro event would be like the next day after. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's the same kind of a thing where you have your kind of like your baked in audience already playing and getting their like fix and then going and watching. Yeah. So it's very similar. Okay. That's very cool. I, see, I was not aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. It helps with that, that kind of like grass fed type program where everyone's kind of climb the ranks and yeah. you can earn your way into being pro versus like, I'm going to try to go pro. And it's like, dude, it's so hard and you have to be gnarly. Yeah. And so <laughs> Is there that similar like rec to pro, like yes. from that AAA? It's, it's so not hard. necessarily from college exclusively. It's like if you're the number one guy in college and you want to go play AVP, but you're an indoor player, it's going to take you three to five years to be in the main draw for the pro tour. And you're just grinding it out on the beach. You're just and training, playing, trying to upgrade playing partners. Those types of tournaments. You're playing in the qualifiers and then you're going and win, trying to go win as many AAAs as you can. Yeah. Uh, or they have like a, a lower tier tour if you win you get a berth for a bigger one you know similar to the like a kind of how tennis runs those right you can kind of like win and climb the ranks it's the same thing um and so it's a grind because you have to prove that you can earn a partner that can get it done yeah and it's such a different game even though it's dude it's so much like tennis and pickleball volleyball indoor is just so power and athleticism and there's like there's the nuances of the touch and skill too, but it's so fast and powerful that you need to be just like a physical monster. And then you go to the beach, and I will chop a dude up who can touch 12 feet. I, I'll make him look like a baby mm. because he can't play two man. Like he can't move in the sand. The timing's off. He has to do every skill, which in volleyball, like hand setting, 90% of the country can't do it legally. If we're <laughs> playing by the real rules, everyone's doing it illegally. You know what I mean? And so like yeah. very few people can really play the game. And so it's really hard to break into that tier. So it's just like pickleball where you're like, dude, it's a grind. And there's so many people that play. It's the same thing. There's so many guys that are athletes and they're gnarly all over the nation that you really have to almost be in these like meccas and be around it and get in the circle, the right circles so that you can kind of climb faster. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's happening in pickleball. I mean, there's like, what, like dreamland yeah. and I'm sure like other places like that where yeah. people are living and yeah. Piccadilly, you know, around here and just groups of people coming together, there is. you know, focused all in on, on grinding to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. The Austin spots. And then, you know, exactly. You said there's the Santa Monica spot. Now that they have the shop in the front yeah. Santa Monica shop. I've gone there a few times. It's rad. It's a cool, it's a scene and people show up at the right times and you're like, wow. I mean, I could be playing with these guys. If I get in and they need a fourth, I'm going to stick around, you know? And so that's kind of the path you take. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Yeah. There are those like little training pockets, Florida. There's some spots, you know, mm -hmm. it's the same in volleyball, Florida. It's kind of funny. It's Florida, Southern California. And then outside of that, there's like random pockets. If guys all go together and go live, like even in Austin, there's a group of really good beach volleyball players because it's like kind of like Southern California. It's yeah. cheaper. There's a lot of opportunity. And so there's like, it's almost the same location. It's so weird. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. how, how much they mirror. California, Florida, and Texas. I mean, going back to, you know, I played, you know, sports growing up and like, you know, you'd always see like the biggest recruits from like the major yeah. sports or, you know, those yep. three states are always, always. Yeah, they always tier. represent. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So right now in pickleball, like, I mean, you have a lot of irons in the fire. It seems like you're putting out content with uh, Matt Manassi. Yeah, we did some stuff for fun. Yeah. Um, you're co-host of the MLP podcast. Yeah, with Tyson and Michelle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, what's that all like? You know, what are, you know, some goals you have or, or some things you're working towards, you know, in the sport? Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's been really cool because I kind of like do starting in COVID and having it beaten so like 
kind of in its infancy that I knew of, like even though it's grown a lot since before I even started playing, there were so many opportunities to kind of get yourself in this space and and uh, establish kind of like a voice and, and show that you loved it, right? And coming straight from and still being in professional level, I was still in like a really brand heavy sponsorship type world and com- competition and training. And so it was just an easy transfer over because a lot of the brands too, they kind of cross over well. And so even if they weren't like, wanting to be in pickleball there was a lot of communication and introductions that were happening and so it was just so natural for me to like oh, i'm gonna go over here and try to build what i did in beach and do it in pickleball because i feel like i'm 21 in pickleball where yeah. in beach <laughs> not having to jump as high as i can every time for three hours is it's way easier to go play pickleball for me so it felt like dude i was like fountain of youth i've got my like youth back and so i'm like okay how do i just structure this how i did with that and try to make this a full-time thing and like do only things that have to do with pickleball. Like I would love to do that because that's just how I, I've been programmed and structured now. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, build relationships with brands and get in the podcast with Tyson. That's been so fun being able to talk to the pros and being able to really like break it down with them and it kind of immerse yourself, even getting to like announce with Dave Fleming and like San Clemente and another time in in like LA and just getting to know him and be buds with him is rad. And then Cameron Irwin came from beach volleyball and now she's commentating with him on the pro tour. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just like, I'm at my cousin's house, you know, sure. it feels like that. So I think trying to like structure everything like I had with mutual level into pickleball is what I'm really like focusing on doing so that I can like keep using it as a tool to stay in shape and be able to get outside and compete and use all the things that I've been like doing my whole life. And at the same time, I enjoy it just as much or more than volleyball. So it's yeah. like such an easy move over. So I think making sure I have a lot of those like irons in the fire. What I learned from beach is that if you do that, something positive will happen as long as, you know, it's the numbers game yeah. in a sense. So if you're immersed in the world and you play the numbers, like it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So that's yeah. kind of the goal. And then if, you know, playing is my, I love playing more than anything. And so I know that that takes such a, like a, a good amount of time and focus that I'm like, dude, I'm up at like, five hit in the sauna workout in my gym and then go try to get reps of a ball machine or I'll have like my buddy Jude is a firefighter. He loves it too. And so we'll go just drill one-on-one for like two hours and then I'll go, go to work. And then I'll try to go maybe again at the night, you know what I mean? Get like a double session in. And so I think drilling was like, I have to do that more than anything. Cause I need touches cause I've never played with a, a sport with something in my hand besides just using my hand, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I need to get touches and f- make this paddle like how I feel when I hit a volleyball with my hand. How can I like carve the ball and misdirect and use it, the flow and the distance between the teams? So for me, it's like, I want to play at the highest level I can. That's yeah, the goal, right? For sure. And then doing all the fun stuff around pickleball too, like the universe of pickleball, that's like, I'm all in on that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's kind great. of the goal. Yeah, yeah, no, good for you, man. Your social media, you're act- active. It's like really polished. You know, I can tell that, that's something that's important to you. It's been important to you. Talk to me a little bit about that. Like yeah. what, what, how do you value content, content creation? How are you trying to, you know, portray yourself online? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that just comes from when Facebook and Instagram kind of like, well, Facebook was around for a little bit. And then when Instagram launched, everyone kind of like was softly going into it. And I noticed that like, this is going to be a big thing just because everyone was suddenly like on it. And I was like, all right, well, this has to be a priority because you're branding yourself, right? Just like anything. So 
I'd had, you know, the Mohawk and tried and nicknamed it the Suave Hawk and got sponsored by Paul Mitchell. And I'm like, like, I have to make that like who I am in my brand because then I'm recognizable. Like mm. Tyson McGuffin, you know what I mean? You know, yep. you know him. He's got the mullet, he's got the tats, the stash, he's yelling. He's, and that was like my thing too. Scream, yell, get the crowd involved, make them feel like they're the ones making me win. Like, I needed you. That's your ball. That's your point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have to... It's like the movie Gladiator. You have to make them feel like they're a part of it because then they enjoy it 10 times more and then you're memorable. And plus, you're basically just showing how much you love the game when you do that. Yeah. It shouldn't be, I'm so rad, look at me. It should be, wow, that was sick. That was, I couldn't even, I can't believe that happened. At the same time, that was, that was you, dude. You told me to do that. You know what I mean? Like, even if they didn't, you do that and everyone goes, looks over and you get the crowd involved. And so they, they want to come watch you. Mm -hmm. I think that's what Tyson does really well. And so I think that like, you know, the, the game is, is so cool in, in that aspect that it's like you really have to brand yourself and make social media such an important part because in person, can people come see you all the time, like once a year at a, an event? But if through social media, they can see you every time you post, they see what you're doing. And if you can represent yourself in a way that is very like, gravitational like when you're in person yeah you're trying to like do that as much as you can and so i put a lot of effort into it before i even got really good at beach and then when i got to the olympics they verified us and i was like dude you had to go to the olympics to get verified or be like an nba star and now they're handing out like candy or you can buy it and i'm like dude it's changed so much now than what it even used to be that it's like all right and it's full circle back to like the reason why i put attention into it is because I was old school and winning got you sponsors, got you on TV and that's how you got popular. Right. That's how you like made a name for yourself and branded yourself and made money. And it changed it to, Oh, I could just start a YouTube channel, not even play and make more money than the dudes who are sacrificing everything to be the best they can. I'm like, all right, well, how do I do both at the same time? Mm-hmm. And so I put a little bit more attention. Uh, I had a camera given to me by Sony and I learned how to use it while I was on my last few years in the world tour. So I got really good with my camera. And then I got more cameras and then I started shooting more content for other people. And now that's like my full-time job, like a media director for a solar company. And then I, I do a lot of stuff like shoots for Valer paddle company. I did like all their stuff when they launched, um, a bunch of other brands. And so it just, I saw that that was really important and that was kind of the future. So I tried to put attention into that, learn how to use the tools that I needed to make it just a little bit better. And then constantly trying to evolve on, what algorithms happening or, or what do people want to see? What value can you give? Cause you could just post stuff about yourself and that's fun. And you can do that once in a while, but I want to, when I think about social media, it's what value am I getting out of this person by following them? Is it entertainment? Cool. Then I'm laughing that I'm getting value or am I learning something? Right. I think you have to look at it that way. Yeah. You know, I think you have to look at it as like, how can I provide one of those? Like, or like, is it an emotional attachment? How do I provide those? One of those three things all the time. And so I think the social media, especially for pickleball players, is so important because, you know, that's your 24-7 view from your fans or from people associated with the game. And I think if you can be around it as much as possible or commenting on other people's stuff and just kind of people know that, do you really love pickleball? Because I do. I'm going to comment on this one. That's pretty funny. That's hilarious. What? Are you kidding me? You know, like you seem to be around it. And so I think putting a, a... uh, emphasis on that while I was still kind of on the top of my game and, and winning on tour really helped me because it, it brought in sponsorships. It opened doors just to be able to have conversations with people I probably couldn't have if I wasn't putting time into that. And even then I should be putting way more time in it. It's just 
you know, the training and the family and the kids, it makes it like where it's almost like, oh, I forgot to post in the last week, you know? And so I think having a structure around that's huge. It's so valuable. So that's interesting to hear. I'm glad you could share that perspective. Just kind of wrapping up here, beach volleyball seems so demanding on the body. And, you know, you trained hard, you played for a long time. Like, how is your body holding up? Like, how do you feel? Yeah, <laughs> that's, just, that's the greatest question. Because I feel like that's why we all play pickleball. <laughs> like how good do you feel after you're like dude I'm, i could play all day yeah it's crazy compared to how i felt playing and training I mean, just getting ready to go play it was like full lift i'd be running like during that olympic four years i'd run a mile before every practice i'd run a mile after before weights and then i'd be lifting for like the longest time be training i mean there's so much to that goes into just getting warm enough to try to jump my highest and play my hardest that that was like a whole tournament in itself. Yeah. And now it's like you roll up to pickleball, it's like you could just start dinking and you're ready to go. Yeah. Which I still do like all my band stuff because I just know it's like force of habit and I'm scared to, you know, get injured because I know what it's like to go through that. So to be able to just like see the difference between beach volleyball and the, the toll it takes on your body, I mean, it's gnarly. And we're not soft surface. It's an uneven like soft surface. And then you go... You know, but the way that you play it is so physical that pickleball feels like a vacation. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. I, sometimes I have to be like, I haven't lifted in a week because I haven't felt the desire. I don't need to. You know what I mean? And then you're like, uh-oh. And this is the downside of pickleball that I think everyone's going to start feeling is that you play so much that you, you overuse specific things and you get really injured mm. because it creeps up on you slow. It's like the frog in the water. And then you just turn the heat on and he slowly boils himself to death because he doesn't feel the water get hot you know it's like that's what like in pickleball i feel like that kind of starts to happen we're like oh my hip kind of hurts and then a month later like i need surgery on my hip because i didn't stretch or do anything to keep it better you know and so pickleball is amazing and that's why we play because it's easy but at the same time it's easy to overuse because it doesn't hurt yeah absolutely <laughs> for me you know you could go spend three four five you could spend all day at the courts yeah because as someone who's into physical activity i don't get satisfied with the session until i'm completely spent exhausted and then it, that takes a long time a long time <laughs> it it's takes so a true. long time you need like a five-hour clip where you're like all right, I can flip the switch off. I can go relax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. go play a couple of games and like be all Sprite and, and yeah. leave the courts because it's just not satisfying. Like you just got warm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. You're like I'm just starting to get good and now I got to leave. Yeah, right. I need at least three hours. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I can see that overuse injuries I think are common in pickleball. I mean, yeah. you know, little tennis elbow wrists, yeah. you know, hip, like you said, whatever. But yeah, it's just so addicting. It's so fun. It's crazy. I love it. It's so fun. <laughs> Well, dude, hey, thanks thanks for your time. I finish up with a little speed round oh, nice. of questions. So let's go through that real quick. Drop or drive? Oh, drop. Tournament or rec? Tournament. Playing during the day or the night? Both. Left side or right side? Left side. Singles or doubles? Doubles. Mixed or gendered? Gender. Dura or Franklin? Dura. Favorite shot? Inside out, backhand down the line from the left. Favorite drill? Mid-court, just hands battle. Like there at the line, and I'm at mid-court transitioning to like a transition drill. And favorite courts in SoCal? Probably have to say right now that Santa Monica pickleball shop. Just because of the, the scene and the environment and they're brand new. I love them there. So fun. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Dude, I love it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. <laughs>